But as Living Small Groups has mentioned, we're going through the various books, and, and I thought maybe it might be a good idea just to preach on a couple of those books. So Easter is a little early this year. It'll be uh, April 1st. So following Easter, I'll be preaching in April and May on the book of Colossians. And as mentioned, uh, this morning we begin um, a sermon series on the book of Jonah. So this morning I'm going to be reading from Jonah 1. And uh, Jonah is a, a prophet. He's, uh, his book is in the middle of the prophets in the Old Testament. So you can start turning to that and find that. And this morning's sermon is going to be based on the first three verses of Jonah chapter 1. Next week we're going to hear from the remaining verses. Um, but I'm going to be reading most of uh, chapter 1 uh, this morning. Uh, Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 through 16. But then again we're going to be focusing on verses 1 to 3. So Jonah 1, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Imitai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Not to it or for it, but against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. That's verses 1 to 3. We continue just reading for a moment. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him. And he said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, from what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. And the sea was getting rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. And I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did not want to, uh, instead the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, "Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please." And then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to Him. And that's where we will end the reading this morning. I know a bit of a cliffhanger what happens next, right? <laughs> As mentioned, we're going to be focusing on the first three verses. And most people in church, and even those not in church, are familiar with the story of Jonah. You know, people may not even be that aware of Jonah, or maybe not even that aware of God, but familiarity in the story is on account of this big fish or whale that people talk about. 
But it is so much more than a whale story. I mean, the fish, yeah, is mentioned four times in Jonah. The, the, the great city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times. Jonah, his name is mentioned 18 times. God's name is mentioned 38 times in these four chapters. The book of Jonah begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, as mentioned in verse 1. And it's also the same words that are mentioned again in chapter 3, verse 1. You see, Jonah, he was an important man. The word of the Lord was specifically coming to him. Jonah is also mentioned in 2 Kings 14, verse 25, where it's mentioned that he was a prophet in the time of King Jeroboam. And this was around 780 B.C. Jonah was a prophet of Israel. He was a Jew. He was very nationalistic. And his calling was such that he was to preach and to prophesy to his own Hebrew people. And Jonah loved the Lord, and he probably followed the Lord and the Lord's instructions on any typical day. But here we have this story. In verses 1 and 2, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and that the, the word or command that Jonah received was to go, to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah, a prophet whose mission was to preach to his familiar Jewish people, was now been, has now been given another mission or calling by God. And this new mission, if he chose to accept this mission, seemed to him to be a mission impossible. It pushed him into this unknown territory. It pushed him towards these unfamiliar people. It pushed him actually towards hated people. And as far as Jonah was concerned... Who really cares if these people of Nineveh were that wicked? Because if this were the case, they would be subject to God's damning wrath. I mean, Jonah knew enough biblical stories to know that what was coming for God's enemies. Nineveh was an enemy of Israel. Nineveh was a, a, a city that was founded by this fellow whose name was Nimrod. That was his name, Genesis 10, verse 11. Nimrod was actually instrumental in uh, beginning the Tower of Babel. Nimrod was a tyrant, and he tried to turn people away from God. He encouraged rebellion to God. So Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, had its beginnings in pagan and evil ways. Nineveh was a large city in, in Assyria. It was a huge city for that time. It was the capital city. It had about 120,000 people. It was about 60 miles wide, and, and it would take about three days to walk. You can read that in Jonah 3 and Jonah 4. It was known for its idol worship. It was a pagan city, and it was worthy of destruction. And Nineveh was spared at this time in history. But prophet, the prophet Nahum predicted its destruction in 612 B.C., and following that, it was destroyed, and it was never rebuilt. But that was some 168 years later. Nineveh was a city that was wicked. However, many cities have their wickedness. And as Reformed believers, we also believe that God will even use evil cities for His purposes. And this city had many kinds of people, which also included many gifted people. And there were some interesting things that came from Nineveh before its destruction in 612 B.C. Nineveh invented locks and keys for doors. We use them today. They invented a system that assigns 360 degrees to circles. 
They were given credit for inventing paved roads, which sometimes we praise and other times we curse. They invented the first postal system. Probably the same. We praise and we curse. They invented the use of iron and libraries and plumbing and flush toilets and aqueducts. They also had an efficient and effective system of government that other cities and towns copied. So good things can still come from wicked cities. And in fact, as we go through the book of Jonah, we'll come to hear that Nineveh does turn to the Lord. Again, they weren't destroyed until 168 years later. But at this time, the wickedness of Nineveh was called into question by God. As we read from the verse, in the first three verses, we read that the evil of Nineveh has come up before me. The evil, picture this, the evil was just like a stench that was rising out of the earth. Nineveh was like a stink to the senses of God. They were evil, and yet, God wants to see this nation turn to him. This wicked city of Nineveh was still important to God. Why God kept this city for, for another 168 years can only be explained by God's mercy. But Jonah hated the Assyrians, as we mentioned. He not only hated their sins, he hated the people. He didn't want to present the living God to them. Instead, he wanted them to live in their darkness. And then his enemy would then be God's enemy. And what a great strategy to get rid of them. Jonah had no intentions of being involved in their turning to the Lord. And so Jonah had a far better idea than to follow the word of the Lord. Verse 3 states that Jonah ran from the Lord. He headed to Tarshish and for the sole purpose just to flee from the Lord. Now you need to know that Nineveh is a city in Assyria which is quite east of the Mediterranean Sea. So you've got Nineveh quite east and Jonah had to travel south, quite far south to Joppa to get to this port where he could find this ship to travel the Mediterranean Sea so he could travel across to the, towards the country of Spain where Tarshish was located. And this was all about 1,500 kilometers. It was a big deal what he was doing. Now for those who have been on Mediterranean cruises, this was no ordinary Mediterranean cruise that uh, Jonah was on. Verse 3 states twice that Jonah ran from the Lord. That Jonah fleed from the Lord. He ignored the word of the Lord that came to him. So we read this story of Jonah. And we think, you know, he's kind of nervy. And he, he must have been really disobedient. The word of the Lord came to him. And he totally physically went in the opposite direction. Jonah's attitude really sucked. It was wrong what he did. God asked him to go to Israel's enemy, people who often abused Israel and, and turned from God. And from Jonah's perspective, they were not qualifiers of God's mercy and God's grace. So Jonah had a negative attitude toward Nineveh. He had a negative attitude toward God. He had a negative attitude toward the word of God. And Jonah figured, you know what? He could take it or leave it. And I guess he figures that God's word is optional. And that obedience to God 
is optional. And maybe somebody needs to tell him that he needs to just slow down and to repent. It's so easy, so easy for us to point fingers, right? So now what about us? Are we actually much, that much different than Jonah? I mean, the word of the Lord comes to us all the time. We have it today in the form of Scripture, the word of the Lord. And just like Jonah, we will see disobedience in the other people because we're so good at that. And for ourselves, we might make this slight adjustment to the rules. And we think, well, complete obedience to God is optional. In fact, more often, we'll probably interpret the scriptures to fit into our own lifestyle and into our own context. And we make obedience to God an option. And I'm I'm not referring to major issues here. I'm referring just to love and mercy, loving one another, loving God. And yes, we do see We see disobedience. We recognize disobedience. We recognize evil. We recognize wicked ways in other people. We always see the disobedience in others. And we see when others go wrong. And then again, we make these beautiful little rules based on our interpretation of Scripture that excludes certain people as disobedient and makes sure that includes ourselves as obedient. In fact, most of us probably right now are thinking, I wish so-and-so were here to listen to this message. There tends to be a recurring theme in the book, and in most of Scripture, actually, of how God comes to us, and He calls us into a relationship with Him, and how we so often respond in disobedience. Let's go right back to the Genesis story. God created humanity perfect. Adam and Eve fell into sin by disobeying God's word, His command. The word of the Lord came to them. And then God calls out to them. And then they run from God. They go in the opposite direction. They hide. The book of Jonah, God's word commands Jonah to prophesy against Nineveh. Jonah runs from God. He tries to hide. Adam and Eve, Jonah, we can insert our own name into there. God is calling us to obedience. A word of the Lord is coming to us. He's calling us to obedience from His word. He's calling us to follow Him. He's calling us to share the message of mercy, the message of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to those who may even seem that they don't deserve it. And then where are we running? Are we running to God or are we running from God? The powerful lesson that we can get from the book of Jonah and from all of scripture is that in spite of our disobedience the Lord extends mercy to the undeserving yes there are people that deserve God's punishment we are those people who deserve God's punishment how many times have we not run from God how many times have we not extended grace and mercy to our enemies Maybe even our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our family is going through the devotional book, Seeking God's Face. 
And while preparing this message this week, the devotional for Tuesday was from Acts 15. In Acts 15, if you take a look at that later, Acts 15 is the council meeting at Jerusalem. And there was this big controversial issue on the council agenda. And this was about the issue of circumcision that the Jews and Gentiles were arguing about. And today we might think, well, that's not a very big deal. But it was a huge deal in the church at this time. People saying, they coming to this council meeting saying that the Bible says this. And others saying, no, you know, times have changed. And this is God's will for us and for his people today. And this was a massive controversial issue at the time. And then people put rules and regulations figuring that, of course, they know better what God's word says. And we continue to argue about so many big issues today, assuming that we fully understand God, what God's word is saying to us. But the verse in Acts 15 that resonated with me during this week was verse 9. Acts 15 verse 9 that states, God did not discriminate between us and them. And that is happening in the book of Jonah. God is not discriminating between Nineveh and Jonah or Nineveh or Israel. God is extending his mercy to his people and expects us, his people, to do the same. People who think differently than us. People who live differently than us. People who have different ideas. And I wonder how many of us could very well find ourselves in the belly of a great fish after running from God and running from His Word. Oops, that was a bit of a spoiler for next week. <laughs> but thanks be to God that as we go through this story of Jonah, as we go through Scripture, as we go through our own stories... We have a God who is gracious, a God who is compassionate, a God who is full of mercy. The story of Jonah brings up so many characteristics of God because this story is about God. And as we go through this story over the next few weeks, we'll hear about a God who is relentless and persistent. We'll hear about a creator God, a providing God, a listening God, a saving God, a compassionate God, yes, an angry God, a gracious God, though slow to anger, abounding in love, a concerned God. The book of Jonah is about God who provides mercy to his people. And friends, how are we going to respond? Which way will we be running? I can honestly say that I do not fully understand God's will for my life. And it is a journey. It is a process of discernment. But one thing that has become clear to me through the word of the Lord is that our God is a God of mercy. Mercy is defined as how God faithfully keeps his promises. And he maintains his covenantal relationship with his people despite the fact that his people are unfaithful to our promises. Mercy is that which God extends to us even when we should be punished for our sins. I think it can be best defined as from Psalm 103, verse 10. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Jonah figured that God's mercy extended too far when God asked Jonah to preach against the city of Nineveh. Jonah had plans not to allow God's mercy to extend beyond the people of Israel. The people of Nineveh don't deserve mercy, they're wicked. They've done wrong. 
Get rid of them. Jonah had his own agenda. Jonah created his own rules. But God is a merciful God. And our God is a God of second chances. And as mentioned, many of us are probably like Jonah. And after all, we're, we're only human, right? But that's not an excuse. When it comes to second chances, we too often do not allow people to make mistakes in life. Sometimes we overreact. Far too often, we do not allow second chances. We don't allow second chances for ourselves. And we probably will not allow second chances for those around us, for anybody else. In fact, I think it's fair to say that we often want to see people pay for their sins. We just returned from Florida. We are traveling on the Interstate 75. And we usually stayed within the spirit of the law by 10%, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Explaining it, just in a 70 zone, we'd be doing 77, 10%. But several times, there'd be somebody who'd go speeding by me. Now, if God were to give me that guy's phone number to give him a call at that time and say, hey, by the way, slow down because there's a speed trap just up ahead and you're going to get caught. I have to wonder if I would phone it. I don't think so. In fact, I'd probably give a little bit of a chuckle as I pass by him on the side of the road getting a speeding ticket. But you see, it was okay for me to be speeding 10% over. We're not great at mercy. We're not great at second chances. And we adjust those rules for ourselves all the time. Jonah didn't want to dish out any mercy. We often don't want to dish out any mercy. And we quickly snap at someone when things don't go our way or we're not forgiving when someone messes with our agenda. Actually, we can be downright mean at times. Or we hit that send button on our email. How often don't we do that? Hit that send button on our email maybe a little too quickly. It's too accessible. And it's unfortunately how many people come to worship or leave worship disgruntled or even sometimes disgusted or angry. Lack of mercy. Me too. I know that. We're not much different than Jonah. Not much different than the pagan people of Nineveh. We tend to not give second chances, and yet we have a merciful God who provides second chances and more. We hear about the second chances as we continue in the book of Jonah. We hear about the second chances from God's word. God sent his one and only son to this earth to give us a second chance third chance and a fourth chance because we have a God of mercy now don't take this for granted sins need to be punished you can't just turn a blind eye to sin because sin angers God God hates sin God hates that the world is full of sin and that our image has been distorted and that our relationship with God and with one another is broken God hates the fact that we don't show enough mercy to one another. And so God expects judgment. Or rather, yeah, He does expect judgment. He expects punishment for our sins. What would it be if our sins were to go unpunished? Well, justice wouldn't be served. So yes, punishment 
is to be paid. Justice is to be served. But for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, your punishment is paid for by the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that fair? No. That's an amazing act of mercy and grace from the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for not running away. God is merciful, and he is a God of second chances and more. So how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like Jonah and run from God? Are you going to ignore God? Or are you going to run to God and to receive his mercy and extend it to so many others who also need God's and our mercy? Don't run from God, but run to him. Run to his open arms of mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, relentless God, compassionate God, God of mercy and grace, you call us to you. You call us to be disciples. You call us to make disciples, and often we'll do our own thing. So we thank you that you do not give to us what we deserve, but instead you give to us forgiveness and grace and mercy. You give to us your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for continuing to call us to you. And no matter what we do, through faith in the saving grace of your Son, we are your sons and daughters. And we bless you and we praise you. We thank you, Jesus. And it's only in your name we pray. Amen.